You are Locked On NFL, your daily NFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On NFL, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski. I cover the Packers for SB Nation and Packer Report. I cover the NFL around the internet. I also host Locked On Packers. And you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the Locked On Podcast Network NFL side at Locked On NFL Pods. And you can subscribe to Locked On NFL wherever you find podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Pepsi. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch this season. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those like us who watch it. Pepsi made for football watching. Week 2 in the NFL, just waiting on Saints Raiders on Monday night And week two on Sunday especially was about pain. It was about the teams who lost, and it was about the players we lost. Major injuries all over the NFL. And unfortunately, this was something that was predicted coming into the year that the shortened training camp and lack of off-season work. Remember, guys couldn't even get into normal gyms in a lot of cases. So bodies are not where they normally would be from a conditioning standpoint, from a football standpoint. And we saw huge Injuries around the league. Saquon Barkley is feared to have torn his ACL and be out for the season. Nick Bosa is just one of a slew of 49ers to be out with an injury. And this dominated the headlines from Sunday. And frankly, that's a shame because there were some really exciting games. I mean, the Cowboys put together a historic comeback, or you could say the Falcons engineered another historic and inglorious loss. The Packers once again look like they've taken a huge leap for Matt LaFleur in year two. And then a bunch of teams that we thought would be good didn't look nearly as good as we thought they would Some really terrific late afternoon games. The Chiefs-Chargers game comes down to a field goal in overtime. Justin Herbert makes his debut, and the Patriots-Seahawks play an absolute barn burner. Terrific way to cap off the weekend, and a little bit of positivity because there was so much of the issues with injuries dominating the headlines and underperforming teams. We are going to get to that on today's show. This is the show where we take the biggest stories and approach them for the local angles. And so we're going to focus today on the pain, the losses, the teams that are in tough shape and have to figure out what to do going forward. There are some wins that can feel like losses, and then there are some wins that can catapult a team forward that felt like losses, at least for most of the game. We don't know what's going to happen here with the Dallas Cowboys, but they come back, score 30 in the second half, and stun the Atlanta Falcons at 40-39 to to give us a little bit of insight on where this could push Dallas. Landon McCool, co-host of Locked On Cowboys, is here, and Landon This was a game that looked done for the Cowboys, and it looked like we were going to get absolutely white-hot takes around the league about Mike McCarthy, about Dak Prescott, about everything in Dallas. Does a comeback win like this salve all those wounds? Is Is that chatter now just silenced? 
I don't know if it gets it all back in track, but I think it buys McCarthy and the rest of the coaching staff at least another week to right. prove that they can figure out a way to get this back on track. I think you know there's excuses. There's there's you know certainly circumstance that they can point to. You know, coming into the game, I think the Cowboys mm. had nine players on IR, and even before you know, obviously, what was a very brutal Sunday uh, morning and afternoon. Uh, I think the second closest team had five players on the IR. So, you know, th- there are certainly things that the, the coaching staff can point to and saying, hey, this is why we've had kind of an uneven start. And then you, you, you point to the idea that the second half obviously looked a lot better for the Cowboys offensively. Uh, and then say, you know, look, we're, we're still working ourselves into shape and, and that there's still an opportunity to grow here. And I think a lot of that may be true. But I also think that if we have a first quarter, especially, that's anything similar to what we've had the first, you know, two games – the, the knives will be out for, for McCarthy again very quickly. And, 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 and I mean, frankly, this is something that is predating McCarthy at this point. The Cowboys have really struggled in the last two seasons specifically uh, at starting slow, and they have to find a way to start quicker, especially if they're going to have a defense that can't really consistently stop people. They need to find a way to be able to play with elite. Yeah, and and that's the funny thing. This box score, you look at it. I mean, if you compare Matt Ryan's <laughs> stats and Dak Prescott's stats side by side, you go – the, the Cowboys lost this game by double digits and not because Dak numbers are, are terrible. They're not, but Matt Ryan, I mean, four touchdowns, a passer rating nearing 130. I mean, this this Dallas defense, even if the offense does get on track, can can this defense without Leighton Van Der Esch, can they get to a place where they're playing playoff and championship caliber defense or are they going to have to win these games 40 to 39? Well, I mean, I think a lot of, a lot of the scoring that happened early happened because of you know the almost I would say six turnovers that they had. I mean I think they had like yeah. three fumbles that 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 they got turned over. Uh, I think they fumbled a fourth time, and then on top of that they had two f- times where they went for fake punts on fourth down. Which I mean I don't know how you don't call that a turnover as well. So I mean, the Cowboys put the D- Dallas defense in terrible positions all day long. And you know I think someone even commented about it that you know the the Cowboys offense is going to need to bail the Dallas defense out and I was just going well yeah they're the ones who threw them in the water in the first place I mean I, I think you know the the issue is that if the Cowboys offense could find a way to play like they did in the second half you know even similarly in the first half maybe come away with a, a lead or at least a point where they're even in the game I think the Dallas defense can play a whole different brand of football and it's a brand of football that they're a lot more comfortable yeah this is something i say about the packers all the time and and that the best run defense they can play is having a really good offense because if you can score teams can't run on you and i think it's the same thing if your offense is is putting yourself in in disadvantageous situations defensively hey guess what it's going to be really hard to play good defense so what does this team need to do i mean it's this is only two weeks so let's not overreact to any of this But if the Cowboys are going to be the team that we thought coming into the season, that not just win the NFC East, but but potentially contend to go to the Super Bowl in the NFC, what do they need to fix here moving forward? I mean, I think they've started to kind of get in the right direction, but they, they got to find their a protection scheme that's going to work for them. Because really the issue has been, you know, Dak Prescott has been under assault for, you know, the first few times that he's attempted – uh, a drop back pass. I mean, he went through the whole first game without throwing a touchdown pass. Uh, and in most of the first half, it felt like they were going to get Dak killed. I was honestly concerned about him long term. Uh, I think that in the second half, it evened out a lot, a lot better. I don't know if, if the, I, I need to go back and watch the game tape, but I, I don't know if the tackles just played better or if the protections were just 
better schemed against what was happening. I think part of it also was that Tack McKinley got got injured and he did. I don't think he was able to come back into the game. But yep. the Cowboys have got to find a way to protect Dak, and if they could find a way to protect Dak become a little bit less predictable on first down with the first down runs. I think that's been the issue. And, and you, you spoke to it earlier. They need to be a little bit more balanced and more unpredictable. And, and I think that's where their offense shines. And, and conversely, that's where the defense really struggles. The defense needs the, the, the opposing offense to be one-dimensional, and the Cowboys' offense needs to be balanced in order to keep the defense off their toes and, and, and not get exploited at their young offensive line positions right now. What's fascinating is Mike McCarthy in his last year as a play caller in Green Bay, the Packers had one of the most aggressive passing attacks in football in terms of early runs and in terms of overall. And, and so you wonder if maybe he starts to nudge Kellen Moore a little bit to say, hey, let's let's be a little bit more aggressive here. Let's build this into the mindset and the game plan to unleash the beast a little bit more. Landon, I appreciate you coming on, man. Thanks for having me. We know 0-2 is not necessarily a death sentence, but there were plenty of teams in danger of falling to 0-2 where in recent history we're talking about roughly 12% of teams are able to come back and make the playoffs. One of those teams that fell to 0-2 on Sunday in probably the most inglorious fashion was the Minnesota Vikings, a team that plenty were picking preseason to be the NFC North winner, and they fell to the Indianapolis Colts looking really, really bad. 28-11. Joining me now, Luke Braun, host of Locked on Vikings. And let's just start with the most obvious thing here, Luke. Um, what's going on with the offense? Yeah, it's uh, not good. It, it's There's a lot of <laughs> really bad indicators here, and, and you can't get a, a stat line like what Kirk Cousins had. Uh, a quarterback can't do that by himself. Like, there's going to be a, a lot of yeah. factors um, that that all kind of add up and compound. You know, the offensive line has been a, a bugaboo for years. They had a uh, you know they had a backup right guard in there who did like fine but not great. They had trouble with Dakota Dozier. They've trotted out as a starting left guard. He hasn't been in the league for seven years. Hasn't been a starter until now, and that's going about how you'd expect. Um, you know, they, they've also been really behind a lot, so they can't get in the game situation where they're most comfortable. They've built an offense that's supposed to be comfortable with a lead. And if you can't get a lead, you can't run that offense. And I think that's kind of the philosophical right. issue with building an offense that way. Yeah. And, and last week, you know, we, we also have to look at the defense because, you know, they, they give up 40 plus to Green Bay. But, you know, Aaron Rodgers looked awesome. Devontae Adams is one of the toughest covers in the league. But then you go out on Sunday and you give up five for eleven or five for one eleven against Mo Ali Cox. That is much more troubling than doing that against Devontae Adams. Yeah, there was a lot that went into that um, with like scheme too. And Mike Zimmer even talked about it after the game. Basically said, okay, yeah, so we've got a bunch of young corners, we've got a bunch of replacement players in there, so we had to simplify the scheme a whole bunch. And a simplified scheme dies to tight end leaks, and so the Colts were able to yeah. just kind of like take over and take advantage of that. And, like, that's, again, that's the issue. You don't have the personnel to run the good defense, so you have to run the mediocre scheme. The mediocre scheme gets beat by smart teams, and the Colts were a smart team on Sunday, and the Vikings weren't. But I think on, on the grander scale with both the offense and the defense, the team just didn't look prepared. They didn't look prepared week one against the Packers. They didn't look prepared week two. They look like a team that needed a preseason. They look like a team that's playing in week yeah. two preseason form right now, and it doesn't seem like anybody else needed a preseason, just the Vikings. So I think this is a gigantic coaching failure and right now, people are looking at what is the future of this team? Are we going to pick top 10? Are we still going to have the same coach and the same GM this time next year? And I think all of those are legitimate questions because not only are the Vikings 0-2, they're a bad 0-2, and they don't look like they're capable of fielding NFL-quality play. 
And if that doesn't turn around soon, we're going to start to see a lot of changes in Minnesota. Yeah, you mentioned the Kirk Cousin line, 11 for 26, 113, three interceptions. Uh, and and it was almost worse than that. I mean, if a stat line can be de- deceiving in that way. You mentioned all of the changes that could be coming. We thought the change that was made in the offseason with Gary Kubiak stepping in for Kevin Stefanski would basically be a net neutral or, or at least could be because Gary Kubiak has that same sort of pedigree in that scheme. And it really has not been the case. Vikings did not go to a ton of play action in week one, and and they still haven't been able to get that part of their game going. I mean, is it as simple as just, hey, we got, we got to call it more? Hey, we, we can't get behind? What's the, what's the deal there? Yeah, it's absolutely a game situation thing. Um, they've just been behind too much to run play action. When you're down three scores in the fourth quarter, nobody's falling for a run fake. And that <laughs> takes out a whole bunch of like the Vikings' best plays from like 2019. Um, you know, the the scheme itself hasn't changed much. I think it was pretty much the same scheme. It was basically a Kubiak scheme in 2019. It's a Kubiak scheme this yep. time. They're running a lot of the same concepts in place, same concepts in place that are working out in places like Green Bay and places like Tennessee. So I don't think it's really like the play calling or the scheme. It's more that the receivers are worse, right? You're, you replaced Diggs with BC Johnson. Justin Jefferson hasn't quite come into his own yet. Um, mm-hmm. You know, as a rookie with like no offseason. And you replaced a uh, bad offensive line with worse players. So yeah, the offense got worse. And I think if you didn't think that was going to happen, I got a bridge to sell you. (laughs) So I guess really the only question that matters now is, can this still be one of those teams that that comes back from from down 0-2, gets to, you know, let's say 9-7 and and sneaks in? Because now I I do think we're going to start seeing some of these old playoff stats start to die just because we're going to have an expanded playoff and another team is getting in. Yeah, I think uh, Justice Mosqueda did. He's like the champion of the Owen Tombstone thing. And uh, he actually looked back at like the last 10 years. And it turns out that there actually haven't been that many Owen 2 teams that like would have made it as the seventh seed. I think a team that's Owen 2 is a team like they're losing games for a reason. I don't. And if yeah. there is going to be an Owen 2 zombie team this year, I wouldn't bet on it being the Vikings. I don't know. I'd be happy to eat my words, but I'm not believing in it right now. This is pretty ugly. Yeah, it it, uh, certainly has been ugly. And if they do want to make the playoffs, they are going to have to play a lot better than we saw them play the first two weeks. Luke, I appreciate it, man. And uh, hopefully it turns around for you this season, because I know uh, for you, it's not fun to talk about a bad team every week. No, we'll find a way. Before we get to the rest of the show, Visa knows that local businesses are the heartbeat of our communities. Whether they're our corner stores, our coffee spots, or our favorite shops, local businesses have always been there for us. They remember our orders. They call us by name, always giving back, making a difference, and going that extra mile to support us and our community. And right now, more than ever, local businesses need our support. So it's time for us to return the favor. The next time you go shopping, make the choice to shop at local businesses and look for the contactless symbol and tap to pay with a contactless visa to help support your community because where and how you shop matters. Visa everywhere you want to be, official partner of the NFL. One of the most disappointing teams through two weeks in the NFL, a team that was certainly a a pick in the NFC East to win the division, uh, a a sleeper Super Bowl team, I think, based on some of the moves that were made in the offseason. And the Philadelphia Eagles have not only not delivered, they have looked dreadful through two weeks. Of course, injuries have played a factor 
But again, on Sunday, they look discombobulated, uh, not able to do much of anything right in a 37-19 loss to the L.A. Rams, who might legitimately be a good team, but Washington doesn't look like one. So to get a little bit more insight there, Gino Camilleri from Locked on Eagles joins us now. And, and Gino, we know this is bad, but let's start with this. Can the Eagles turn this around? Because there is a lot of talent on this team, and they're a well-coached team. That's the thing, Pete, before anything, is that we're only in week two. And being an Eagles fan and somebody who covers the Eagles, you've seen them the last three years go through these roller coaster seasons where one minute they're looking like a dominant offense and a dominant team and get the number one overall seed in 2017, and then they're fighting for a playoff spot in the next two seasons. And I didn't expect anything else other than that to happen again this year. And it is disappointing because, like you said, they had all those offseason accolades, but the game isn't played on paper. But when I look at this team, I just think there's way too much talent for them to not still be in the conversation to be in a playoff spot. I mean, the best team in the NFC East right now is Dallas barely because Atlanta forgot to – pick up a onside kick but that's the thing about the (laughs) nfc east is that we still have five division games left there's still a ton of in conference games left but the thing is it doesn't matter how many games left if doug peterson and carson wentz can't get on the same page and if jim schwartz can't figure out how to call a defense because frankly allowing near 23 points in your last eight games on average as a defensive coordinator isn't good enough in the NFL, and especially for somebody who this front office has given Jim Schwartz any tool that he wants at his disposal for that defense. So there are a lot of things going bad. But the good news is I still believe that they have some hope if they can get it rolling on uh, all four wheels here. The good news for them is they play in a bad division. I mean, Washington is is not very good, uh, but they already do have the win over the Eagles. Uh, The Giants are not very good. And, and the MetLife turf looks like it is an absolute hellscape. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't imagine anyone wanting to play in that. The 49ers were absolutely beset by injuries after all of that. I, I am wondering, though, you mentioned Carson Wentz. The Eagles, this team has a lot of equity with its with its fans, Doug Peterson and, and Howie Roseman. You have to think that they have plenty of equity with ownership. We're a week or two away, I think, of, of, of this level of play before we start to hear whispers about the future of Carson Wentz. And see, that's the thing that makes it so difficult is I think a lot more eyes now more than ever in, in this time that we have where everybody's sitting at home and they have so much more free time now to watch these games. I think that's definitely going to be the case. But when you look back to just last season, when he went on that 4-0 stretch at the end of the year with nobody around him, and they really built that offense to to favor his strengths because they knew that he didn't have the weapons around him to get it done, and they know that Carson Wentz tries to play Superman football. And I said this to Lou on the show the other day, is that we have the Incredible Hulk as our quarterback. He's Bruce Banner. He's very smart. But at the same time, he does some boneheaded things like the Hulk does. But Captain America in Doug Peterson and Iron Man and Rich Scangarello and all the other offensive minds they have there, I don't feel have done Wentz any favors in the last two weeks. And if you saw the last two drives of the second quarter in this game, I thought they did an exceptional job setting up the plays, having two or three guys in motion at any time, rolling Carson Wentz out. 
But in the other seven and a half quarters of football that we've had so far, I don't think him and Doug have been on the same page at all. Yes, Carson Wentz does a lot of it to himself, but I also think it's because he puts too much pressure on himself when the coaching staff doesn't put him in a good position. But at the same time, Pete, you're right. He needs to step up. He needs to be held accountable. I think everybody in that organization needs to look at Carson Wentz and say, man, we know how good you are, but you have to do it. It's kind of like when you have that jacket that has that zipper that won't go up and it's like, man, why can't I get it? It'll only go up two or three, two or three zips. And then you finally, you give it one hard zip and it, it clicks right back into place. Like that's how easily I think this team can get back on track. It's if only if everybody buys in first off, and if Doug can quote unquote self scout his offense enough to put them in a position to win football games, because right now. Man, it, it is it is rough sledding to watch this Philadelphia Eagles offense. Yeah, the good news for them is they may only have to go eight and eight or nine and seven, and that could be good enough in the East to get them into the playoffs. But they're gonna have to play a lot better just to get to that mark. Gino, I appreciate you coming on. Absolutely, Pete. It's never fun after a game like that, but it is good to see and get some lessons out of it. So thank you for having me on. One of the teams that lost on Sunday, even though they won, was the San Francisco 49ers. They take care of the Jets 31-13. That part of it was not in question, but some major injury problems moving forward for the 49ers. Kyle Shanahan in his postgame press conference suggested that the, the early reports of Nick Bosa having a torn ACL, that was at least what they thought at this point, of course, an MRI to confirm Jimmy Garoppolo has a high ankle sprain. Raheem Mostert has a, a mystery knee issue. George Kittle already up in the air. And Debo Samuel already on IR. This is a team we expect to compete for a Super Bowl title. So Brian Peacock joining me now from Locked on 49ers and Peacock and Williamson. Brian, I, I wish we were talking again on better circumstances. Just give me the the rundown of, of where the 49ers stand here and, and what we expect moving forward for this team. Yeah, it's pretty amazing how bittersweet this win was for 49ers here. And uh, I actually just put a quick poll out there on Twitter to some fans. I said, if you could have um, none of those injuries this week, but taken the L and essentially forfeited this game against the New York Jets, would you have done it? And 100% of my responses have been absolutely <laughs> yes. I would take just Bosa alone, not having a tor torn ACL and taking the loss against the New York Jets. And it's funny because the 49ers have a decision to make. And I, and I think it's an, uh, a serious decision as a franchise because they're supposed to come back and play the Giants on that very same turf next week. If they think that that turf is in that bad uh, of shape and they think that they could lose that many more players again, I think it would behoove the 49ers to make sure they do not go through that, even if it would be a forfeit. And I know maybe, you know, I've heard speculation, hey, there's a game, there's no game in D.C. Maybe they could move it or try to, you know, change some things around. I doubt the league would want to do that. But yeah. at this point, I mean, the fans would be on their side if they said, We'll take the L then if you don't want to move this game because we're not going out and playing on that field. That's how bad it was for these players. And, and in the locker room, it's all anybody could talk about on that 49ers roster. And Eric Armstead, 49ers a defensive lineman that did not get hurt in that game, he said after the game, he the first thing he did, he walked into the locker room, grabbed his phone and tweeted at the NFL. He added the NF, added the NFL and said, fix this trash MetLife turf 2020 is so whack. So that's how the 49ers feel about it. So 2020 still going great, still going great. We know that um, th this is something that, you know, it has long term ramifications, of course, for this team. 
you know, even even their their B squad could go in and and compete with the Giants. Nick Mullins uh, potentially could be the starter on Sunday, and and they looked fine two years ago with Nick Mullins at quarterback. A lot of the um, there have been some comparisons between the season that Jimmy G had and the season that Nick Mullins had, and the stats are are pretty close to identical. If if Nick Mullins is the starter, that's probably not that big a deal for a game or two. But if Nick Bosa is going to miss the entire season, that changes the entire complexion of the defense. Just try and put this loss into some perspective for me. It's really difficult. And this offseason, we went through and we drafted the 49ers. We said, look, three-year window, let's draft current 49ers players and Nick Bosa was the number one pick over George Kittle, over Jimmy Garoppolo, yeah. over you know Trent Williams, Richard Sherman, whoever. I think he's that important to the 49ers. He was the biggest difference maker, I think, in that 2019 team versus what we saw in 2018. Even Jimmy Garoppolo said it was a blessing in disguise that he tore his own ACL because it meant the 49ers were bad enough to get the pick that they selected Nick Bosa with. So that's how yeah. important he is. He affects every play, the run, and the pass. He's so good. Um, and very well respected in the locker room. So it's a huge loss for the 49ers, and likely he will be done for the year. Uh, they've got some problems at defensive end because D. Ford already, I mean, we know his long injury history, banged up, missed a lot of games last year. He suddenly missed this game this week. He had a neck injury that popped up. It uh, doesn't seem like a, a long-term issue, but just another injury for D. Ford. So they're, they were already thin at defensive end, and this is going to be tough because that's what this team is built around, being able to, pressure the opposing team's cornerback and and it's really what I think drove a lot of their success last season well and that's what made that week one loss so crucial for this team because you know they get the Giants this week now they're super banged up and they may have to play backups all over the field this was supposed to be the stretch where they get they're getting right because starting October 18th this is how the 49ers finish the season. They get Rams at Patriots at Seahawks, home for the Packers at the Saints at the Rams, home for the Bills, home for Washington at the Cowboys at the Cardinals, home for the Seahawks. That's the closing stretch for the 49ers. That is absolutely brutal. And if if they start losing some games in here because they are, you know, de facto forfeiting with the guys they're putting out on the field, I mean, they could be in real trouble here. It could be a rough go. I think luckily for the 49ers, aside from Nick Bosa, because he's not going to be available, it looks like. And it's the same with Solomon Thomas. So defensive line depth is an issue. They actually had met already and had a workout with Ziggy Ansa this week. So I'd be surprised if by the end of the day, that deal's not signed. And maybe that sure. will be that, that helps out the 49ers. Ziggy Ansa, not the player he once was with Detroit. But luckily for the 49ers, when you look at Jimmy Garoppolo, high ankle sprain, he should be good in, in you know at least a few weeks if he if he does have to miss some time and they're going to reevaluate him um richard sherman is on short-term ir they expect him to come off after the minimum three weeks debo samuel is scheduled to come off the ir uh, as long as his foot has got that jones fracture in his foot he had a little bit of a setback so they decided to wait three more weeks and put him on ir to start the season he'll be eligible to come off that in week four so, and George Kittle as well, dealing with a sprained knee. I would be surprised if they let him play next week against the New York Giants. But after that, again, week four. So they have an opportunity to get well and be in pretty good shape for that run with the exception of Nick Bosa. So if they can overcome Bosa, I think they'll be in all right shape. But right now it's a really rough go. And if they're able to, to come out of this with a, a victory against the Giants and maybe even against the Eagles, then I think that'll be a huge hurdle for the team to come out of this two and two or or three and one out of this stretch and then get a lot of those reinforcements back. 
Brian, like I said, I, I, I do wish that, that we were talking about uh, football and not injuries, but this is something we've seen across the league. Soft tissue injuries especially have been a major problem, uh, and this is this is potentially two ACLs on the same team on the same day. And, and maybe it is the turf, but we've seen bad turf in the past. They have not done anything about the turf in Soldier Field, have not done anything about the turf in Heinz Field. I would not expect it to be different at MetLife Stadium. Uh, Brian, uh, I hope the 49ers are able to get their guys back and we can see this team at full strength at some point this season because last year they look like the best team potentially in the league. And, and if they don't get to get back to that this year because of injuries, that would sincerely be a bummer. Yeah, and look forward to talking with you about that Packers 49ers game coming up. And it was supposed to be a 49ers revenge tour this season. Sounds like it's a little bit more of an Aaron Rodgers revenge tour. So that'll be fun. It might very well be, and and it still might not matter. The 49ers might just have their number. It could be one of those things. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, you bet. Thanks. Before we finish up, we have to talk about Bilt Bar, and the reason we have to talk about Bilt Bar is because in this world where sometimes you just need a little something sweet to make you feel good, maybe to make you just, you need that little pick-me-up. It can be lonely. It can be tough to get through the world right now with everything that's going on between the pandemic, the election, maybe your season for your team is is already in the dumps and, and you just want a little pick me up, but you don't want to feel worse when you're done eating the thing because, you know, we love we love to eat our feelings. That's why Built Bar is here. They added six new flavors to their amazing lineup. We're talking about the off season of the year, adding caramel brownie, cookies and cream, lemon almond cheesecake, apple almonds crisp to an already stacked team. I'm talking German chocolate. I'm talking salted caramel, double chocolate, peanut butter brownie. These bars are all covered in 100% chocolate, and you're probably asking yourself, how can this be good for me? They're low calorie, they're low sugar, they're high protein, they're high fiber, and I'm telling you, they are delicious. This is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. I have tried them all, and this is 100% my favorite right now. With purchase, you can get a free cooler while supplies last. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON to get $10 off your next order. That's promo code LOCKEDON to get $10 off at BuiltBar.com. I want to end the show quickly because I know we're already over 30 minutes here, but I want to end the show with a segment I'm going to call the Monday Minute. Just a quick little recap to, to summarize everything. I, I won't give the preamble every week, but I was a huge fan of, for a long time, Rick Riley would, would write on the back pages of Sports Illustrated, that back page, and that was the thing. I loved it. It was just a little, it was just a little dessert. You got to read the whole magazine and then you just had that little bite at the end. It was, you know, when you go to a fancy restaurant and they bring you the check and they bring you little chocolates or little cookies with the check. That's what this is. Just a little summary to leave you and, and you can go and, and you can spend Tuesday with Ross and Luke. Aaron Rodgers read your tweets. Seattle is letting Russ cook. Patrick Mahomes is money at the end of games. And Lamar Jackson can't be stopped by ground, by air, by land, or by sea. Last year, we heard about King Henry and the ground-and-pound 49ers, the teams who ran the ball. They were back. The league was changing. But don't forget who actually won the Super Bowl last year. Offense beat defense, and that's the big takeaway from the first two weeks of the COVID season. The offenses came to play right away, and you better have one 
or you're getting left behind. Even the Bills, with that defense and run game, has found a way to let Josh Allen cook. And maybe he's just a sous chef right now. But Buffalo has Super Bowl aspirations, so that means he's going to have to make plays to give them a chance. This does not look like a year Blake Bortles and a great defense can make a deep playoff push. This might not be that league anymore ever. If you don't trust your QB to cook, then your team can't handle the heat in the kitchen. We'll be back tomorrow. Ross Jackson, Luke Braun, Locked on NFL pushes forward into week three. Follow me on Twitter, Peter underscore Bukowski. You can listen to Locked on Packers anywhere you you find podcasts. We are the number one Packers podcast on the internet. Follow my work, SB Nation Packer Report, all over the place. So check me out. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you find podcasts. You, of course, will find Locked on NFL and Locked on Packers. So until next Monday, be sure to stay locked on NFL.